Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I want to emphasize that was weekly, your weekly podcast. Not your monthly podcast, but your weekly podcast. I'm uh, Matt Cable, pastor. Usually I'm the pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. Today I'm the chaplain to the wherever I am in Wisconsin right now. Willkommen to the podcast, Matt. Uh, I'm Zach Paris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder, America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Europa University. But today, uh, I have assumed uh, our dear brother Martin's role as the campus pastor to Wittenberg University. Uh, Luther was a campus pastor. Never forget it. That's right. Luther was a campus pastor. Was he also a professor? Just like me. Was he part of the Lumen Network? He didn't pay dues, which was a kind of a <laughs> issue. <laughs> oh, what a deadbeat. What a deadbeat. We actually had our own uh, uh, bull, Lumen bull. He could be uh, shot on sight for not paying his dues. Matt, I've been getting so much feedback this week. Uh, we were talking earlier about how intimate a, um, a form of media podcast is. Uh, and I have caught so much crap this week about how terrible uh, the week before last episode was. Oh, no. Uh, the, Which the, one? It was the one that was full of technical difficulties where we oh, recorded for two hours so and we ended, we caught like 20 minutes on tape. Uh, and it begins without an intro and there's a random person who we don't introduce <laughs> speaking. Oh, sorry, Scott Fielder. You were, you were great. You did you your were. job. It was fantastic. <laughs> but people are like, that was the most confusing episode ever. And that's, <laughs> that's really saying something. I kept rewinding you know, to try to find the intro to find the first half of the podcast, but I couldn't find it. We're a niche podcast. Sometimes we just like to do things a little arty. We're kind of that's like Atlanta. You just get like a random episode. Yeah. Well, it doesn't fit the rest of the narrative. It's great. <laughs> oh, how's how's Wisconsin? Or how are the great uh, fields of the Midwest? We just got here yesterday, so we've uh, we flew to. This is our annual um, six state tour of the Midwest. Last year it was seven states because we flew home out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Mm. But this year we're not doing that, so it's only six states. Do you call back. it the sext state tour? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, we flew into Chicago. We drove to Lansing, Michigan. Uh, not East Lansing, Michigan, but Lansing, Michigan. Capital West side. of the state of Michigan. Um, and then we uh, drove through Indiana, stopped at Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, almost a national park, part of the national park system, but mm. a national lakeshore, not a national park. There's a distinction. Purists will point it out. So I had to point it out when I checked in. Did you but, stamp uh, your passports? So, do your kids have passports? I did. Do my kids have passports? Yeah. Uh, we there was a conversation that was had. We've had the similar conversation. I don't know if you've. <laughs> it was decided they were too young. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. <laughs> I mean, they had the little junior ranger vests, and it was like uh, it doesn't. That doesn't really. They don't really fit them. But mm -hmm. uh, I thought about. It. Thought about it. So uh, you also had that. Yeah, a similar similar conversation. We were at the Great Sand Dunes National Park. It is a park, and and we had the same conversation in the gift shop. But Matt, I have a. I think this is an episode of Dadcast. I have a tip. What I decided we would do instead, my Episcopal colleague, 
uh, here in Boulder, who I work really closely with, her family has this little cabin uh, really close to town, but up in the mountains, and it feels very far away. It doesn't have running water, that kind of stuff. And uh, they've had it for like 50 years. And when they built it, they built the cabin themselves, like as a family. They started this like guest book. So every time anyone stays in the cabin, you have to like write like a little note uh, and there are pictures and stuff. And so when we go up for, we take our leadership retreat up there with our leadership team uh, and we have to write our note in it. But we like to get to flip through it and we get to see like Mother Mary Kate when she was like six and stuff because there are pictures and stuff in there. So what I've decided we're going to start doing, right, is have like a family like camping or hiking journal because we don't have a cabin and we're probably not going to get a cabin anytime soon. Uh, but we went on a couple like camping trips this summer uh, and maybe our daughters are too young uh, to write or draw in it right now. Uh, she can't draw in it, I guess. But like we'll start like start it so that everybody every time we go on like a trip or a hike or something kind of significant like that, we'll have an entry in the journal. And then in like 20, 30 years, it'll be like really cute and interesting. There you go. You could even stamp it. You could use it as your passport book. So you could Ooh. stamp it when you as a family. Smart. Mm-hmm. I like it. There you go. When are you going to start this? I guess next. Tr- we should start it. I'm starting. I've already started it, Matt. This is August the 5th, 2018. And our family, including my two-year-old daughter, have traveled to Germany. Uh, and we are basically on a backpacking trip with a two-year-old in East, in the former East Germany, uh, around the Luther sites. That sounds great. So you are going to Germany. Have you... Um... Have you talked to my wife about the Berlin airlift yet? Nine. She she's into she the airlift. You. The Berlin airlift. It's her favorite topic to talk about because she thinks it's a really nutty uh, piece of American history. Y'all should look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, oh. But if we ever do an episode of Drunk History with Professor Chris Heiser at Which... Los Angeles City College, that would be what it would be about. It would be, I mean, like it could be like a whole Germany episode. You know, they're like themed. Yes. And then we have Chris. So we go to Germany. And then we have Chris talk about the Berlin airlift and we'll act it out. It'll be great. The, dear listeners, uh, this is episode 99. Uh, this was episode 99, part A. We're breaking up the 99th episode into three parts because uh, we've got some really special stuff planned for the 100th episode. But but not only for the 100th episode itself, which is going to be fantastic, but as we move into the next 100 set of episodes, there are going to be a lot of special stuff. We're always innovating. Uh, you get the interesting art forms like a couple weeks ago. No introduction, random people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, random voices talking on the podcast who you don't know. Uh, one of them may be Drunk History with uh, Dr. Chris Heiser. Could be. Could be. Did you? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did you watch TV? Um, there's uh, recent Drunk History blew my mind. Mensa Musa? Are you, are you familiar with Mensa Musa? Who's no. the richest man who has ever lived? No. Yeah, I hadn't either. It was on Drunk History. You got to watch it. So Mensa Musa ruled in Timbuktu, which is in like mm-hmm. current day Mali. And so there's a whole episode on, first of all, like the richest man who's ever lived was a black man, first of all, in Africa. And then second of all, he goes, he makes the Hajj, goes on pilgrimage to Mecca and takes 60,000 people with him. And they stop in Cairo and they spend so much money in Cairo that like super, inf- like hyperinflation happens in Cairo and he destroys their economy. And on the way back, the ruler of Cairo is very upset with him. He's like, don't worry. And so he buys back all of the money to stabilize the economy of Cairo. That sounds like a great, like, mission trip story. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Don't do this on your mission trip. (laughs) 
Oh Matt, this is if we had a real a graphics department, I'd have them like creating memes this week on um, you know how like people make the things of like don't do this on your mission trip, don't do like the the rich white savior complex or uh what's the porn one uh We're gonna rename it the Mitsumusa complex. <laughs> yes. Also, don't create hyperinflation. <laughs> 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 or he could really one up the the group's trip down to the to to Juarez or whatever with your uh, I found a village so poor and remote that we caused hyperinflation and destroyed their economy. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Well, Zach, mm-hmm. I'm on uh, I'm on Central time. You're on Central. You're on. Do you know what? It's CST. I've always seen that abbreviation. Heck. Heck, man, this this is getting real vulgar. I said, heck, uh, I lived in CST, and I'm not convinced that it's Central Standard Time. I think maybe Corn Standard Time. Corn Standard Time <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah, and I lived in the other Corn Standard Time too. When I lived in Bakersfield, home to the lead singer of Corn, uh, but it was backwards K S T. Um, but I don't think it's K S T or C S T uh, here. Uh, M S T. It looks like it's T four T. Time for the text. <laughs> Time for the text. Oh my goodness, the David Bowie stories continue. This is a, and this is like part two of a two part episode. I feel like. Uh, even though it's part one of a three-part episode for us, it's also part two of a two-part episode on David and the wife of Uriah, a.k.a. Bathsheba. It's an incredible story. Like we talked about last week, like it, the, the drama last week uh, and the way it was written, just fantastic. And uh, here again, it just starts like, uh, gosh, like you could just imagine these this um, this opening montage Uh, it's two verses when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead she made lamentation for him end scene (laughs) when the morning when the morning uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G was over David sent and brought her over to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son period Matt we're gonna cut out the gospel We're going to cut like three verses from last week that are basically like three elongated verses, like just describing like some maritime happenings. <laughs> they got on a boat and went this way, then they went that way, and then some boats arrived from Tiberias. And here you got two verses where fairly substantial stuff happens. Fairly substantial. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, worth pointing out uh, that uh, Bathsheba is not identified as Bathsheba, but still identified as the mm-hmm. wife of Uriah, even though oh. Uriah is dead. Um, still identified as the wife of Uriah and the storytelling, just just in case you forgot, reader. This story just ends with forgot. women's empowerment, though. Does it? No, no, it doesn't. Dude. No, sadly. It's the opposite of that. Uh, so then it gets really... Oh, oh, my goodness. But the thing... So I... Ugh, Hot. I mean, this is... Oh, man. So, like, I feel like... This is what I felt like reading it. It's like... It feels really heavy, right? Uh, this horrible thing happened and David, David's the bad guy. He's the villain. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, it's kind of nuts. You think about the arc of the summer and David like rises up as this like underdog, right? He's like the little guy among his brothers. He slays Goliath. What a hero, right? Nope. This is like, uh, Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader. (laughs) Yes. He's he's become the villain. I mean, he really, he really has. And so the villain wins. End of story, right? End of story. David says, brace her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. And then you get this line. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
Wait, what? There's another character in this story? <laughs> There's another character in this story who's got something to say about what's happened. Uh, and that's, I mean, that just that line right there, that thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Uh, and that's going to be the catalyst for the next part of the story. Uh, that's a huge, powerful line right there. God, God steps in. But then here's how God steps in. Maybe and for Uriah's sake, God could have stepped in, I don't know, about a chapter ago. <laughs> you would think, right? Uh, I, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's just such a fascinating look at, um, at how God works, right? God doesn't always intervene before the bad thing happens. But God is alive and paying attention. And I think that's good. I don't know. But here's what God does. Uh, and the Lord, uh, Yahweh, sends Nathan to David. So that's what God does. God could have done a lot of things, uh, but God decides to send Nathan to David. And Nathan comes to David and said to him. So I, I highlighted these three lines right here because I feel like I, that just, that just mm-hmm. struck me. It just stood out to me. So the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased the Lord. So uh, number one, God. And then number two, God sends a prophet. And then number three, what the prophet's going to do is the prophet is going to speak. And I feel like this is a pattern. This is part of how God uh, works. This is part of how God works. Uh, so, and then <laughs> here's how the prophet speaks. The prophet could have gone to David uh, and just told David, uh, hey, what you did was wrong, buddy. But instead, he tells David this story. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know, is it a parable? I feel like I'm going to say parable, but then I feel like it's an imprecise use of the, the word parable. <laughs> but this little story, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's an allegory, but it's not quite an allegory. I mean, it's like, it'd be hard to draw like exact equal signs. I don't know. So uh, he tells him this little story about these two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had everything he could possibly need. The poor man had just one little ewe uh, that he loved, and it grew up with him. And it was like a daughter to him. And then this traveler comes, and the rich man's got to feed the traveler. And instead of taking one of his own flocks or herds, he has plenty of flocks and herds. He just takes the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guests who'd come to him. Wow. Mm. What a douchebag. And that's uh, what David thinks, too. <laughs> David is like, what a horrible story. Oh, my gosh. David's anger is greatly kindled against the man. And he says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this uh, deserves to die. So restore the <laughs> lamb fourfold. He did this thing because he had no pity. So uh, it's an interesting little story. Um, if you were going to draw equal signs, uh <laughs> Apparently the women in the story are lambs that belong to the men in the story. I mean, like, you can't really, yeah. right? Like, that's what it kind of breaks down. You're like, mm, I'm going to just kind of move. I don't know that I really want to. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's problematic in its way. But it does highlight, does highlight the injustice and rightly angers David. Uh, David is pissed off. Uh, and then Nathan turns to David and says, you are the man. How do you think David heard that? Because I could see David being like, you're right, I'm the man. Let's go find this dude. <laughs> I know. It's, it's hard to read that in the 21st century, uh, really 20th century context. You are the man. The man. I don't know. What do you, any, any thoughts uh, halfway? It's really only halfway through this. Halfway through. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the you are the man line is though. Certainly a punchline. Well done on Nathan. Um, Nathan's an interesting character here. Uh, David just put Uriah to death because he was kind of in the way of the things he wanted. So for Mm -hmm. Nathan to immediately come 
uh, in telling this terrible story and, and tell David that he's the one uh, who deserves death in this. Uh, and based on where we're headed in the next couple of weeks with what David's going to do uh, to those close to him, not a safe thing to do. It's risky, I think. Yeah, it's definitely risky. I, I also think it's interesting that um, that Nathan is strategic here, right? Like if he mm-hmm. just gone to David and been like, yeah. "You are," the, if he started with "You are the man," I think it'd be much easier for David to sweep him aside. But he starts by getting David's sympathies, right? He starts with like building this connection where David is like, David's with him, mm-hmm. and then he pulls the rug under him. And I think that's a really, it's really interesting, right? Like, they, like Nathan's not just. Um, I don't know. He's strategic about 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 his uh, his preaching. I'd also like to say I would really appreciate this this David to come uh, be in a congregation that I preach to because he's super into the story. <laughs> he is into the story. That's true. <laughs> like this is a, a pretty brief story, and by the end of it, his anger is greatly kindled against the man. Yeah, just just furious with this dude. <laughs> the story. Most people I preach to, they're like, "Huh, good story." Uh. <laughs> good story <laughs> or really it would be like 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 it would be like people wouldn't <laughs> this is too mean <laughs> but actually like people wouldn't hear that you are the man they would just remember the story yeah. they'd be like crazy story <laughs> man yeah. similar thing happened to me once I <laughs> you know like I took a sheep from a guy <laughs> sometimes you gotta take sheep from poor people that's just the way it is <laughs> Thanks for telling that story, Pastor. Oh no, but for real, like if you're if you're preaching, if you are going to preach something challenging, I mean, it's uh, it'd be worth taking a page out of Nathan's book and thinking yeah. about how he does it, right? You're not just starting with uh, uh, guns blasting uh, from the opening line, uh, but you're kind of laying the groundwork. You're laying down that carpet, that rug before you pull it out from under people. I don't know. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting uh, strategy. Yeah. Nathan, Nathan also like. I almost want to go do more like character study of Nathan because I feel like a couple wasn't it a couple weeks ago where he, he was like David was going to build that temple and Nathan's like yeah go for it buddy and then he goes to sleep and God's like yeah no <laughs> and so Nathan has to go back and be like uh, sorry I was wrong so like Nathan actually like he starts out he's not that great at his job mm-hmm. and then by here he's like oh this guy's good like Real good. so he like develops right he grows into his role summer of Nate dog next year and more in juice. Summer of Nathan. <laughs> I think there's I think there's something here, Matt, that you could do along like the kind of um, gender stuff. Uh, as you noted, right, that would began with the wife of Uriah. Um, there's just real like the power contrast in this story in particular, and where we're headed because it's about to get real bad. Is there right? Like the story itself, right, is the story of a rich man and a poor man, um, but it's about a man and then the punishment that gets like meted out by God for this what David's fortunes are basically going to turn um, but then like what on one hand you could read is the most like intimate sinister like punishment I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor for, she, for you shall lie with your wives in the sight of the very son again treats the women like sheep uh, yeah I don't know exactly how we get to good news out of that but it's worth <laughs> being aware of <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, there's clearly, there's anger at the injustice, but it's also, but it's almost like, um, I mean, the real injustice here is what happened to Uriah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened to Bathsheba, um, the way it's presented. So this, this second half of the story, I mean, this is, 
then the punishment kind of tumbles out here. Therefore, which which to me culminates, well, I don't know, if, there's a couple of culminations, um, but this line I underlined, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And we had a whole like pericope about the house of David, right? Yeah. That God is going to build mm-hmm. for David. It was a whole thing, right? I don't know, you're not going to build me a house of seed. I'm going to build you a real house of people. And now here the house comes back, but it's... Uh, the sword is never going to depart from your house. That thing that I promise you is not going to be poisoned. Um, I will raise up trouble for you. And then again, from within your own house. Um, and partly that's going to explain the history that's to come, right? That we're going to see <laughs> next week. Uh, and further on here in second Sam, second Samuel. Um, it's also really, um, it really echoes uh, the Adam and Eve story in a lot of ways too, right? Like there's this sin that happened. And then because of this, here's the thing that's going to happen uh, in the future. Here's the, the thing that's going to be with you. Uh, the sword that's going to be with you, the poison that's going to be with you, the punishment that's going to be with you. Uh, and then the story, and then, and then God really gives the kicker for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. Damn God. She's just boom. David says to Nathan, uh, I have sinned against the Lord. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks be to God. God. That's how it ends. Like, oh my here we are again. Uh, what's the good news? <laughs> there is, to go back, um, I'm pretty uncomfortable, I think, with the God who's speaking so directly and clearly about what seems to be the bad things that God is going to make happen. That God is, this is God's uh, no Vaseline track here to David. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it goes back to the joke about Uriah and this act of God. Uh, where was the act of God for Uriah? That that I think, right, it's a joke, first of all. And then second of all, there's some, like, I think some truth in it. Um, yeah, Uriah reading this chapter is not going to be like, the good news is that God is active and involved because... Uh, I'm dead. But the, I mean, and it ties into the, the Garden of Eden stuff, right? Like the way, perhaps it's descriptive of the way God is involved, uh, which may not be as active as we would like it to be, and describing that the, the God's level of in, of active engagement with the world, when we're always on that, that when we're always trying to balance that like active, powerful God with the, the freedom of humans, is that God didn't start this, right? Like, the house, David had already taken the sword to his house himself. Mm-hmm. And that the way, perhaps it's descriptive of the way that God is involved in in the world is that once you take the sword to the house, it's, you can't take the sword out of the house kind of a thing. Yeah. Perhaps this is the first yeah. step. Maybe what I'm trying to say, perhaps this is the first step to take us down towards that, that theology of, a, of the cross sort of thing. Because the glory that David's original house was, had envisioned for itself wasn't going to require death or sacrifice at all. And then David took the sword to that house, and now you can't take the sword out. And the way out eventually will be through the sword, uh, but in a wow. way that we don't... Can't take the Suppose. sword out of the house. That's why you don't need. Don't bring a gun to the house. See. Don't take your guns to town. That's on the playlist. <laughs> <laughs> you know that song. I want to talk about it later. Yeah, and gosh, for me too. Like, I mean, I feel like it's good news for for the world that we live in, right? Like, it would be. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, like God could have intervened earlier, but that's not how we experience life either, right? That like no bad things happen. I think it is good news. Like this horrible thing happens, but the story's not over. That God yeah. is that God's gonna do something for Uriah and for Bathsheba. Like the fact that um, that God is gonna speak into this. That this this horrible thing happens, right? Think about whatever that happens to be uh, in your world, uh, big or small. Uh, the story's not over, right? God's mm-hmm. going to intervene. And then I think, too, like you could preach that twice, actually, because then for David, too, like the story ends, I have sinned against the Lord. And there are these horrible consequences but for David. Okay. But for David, too, the story's yeah. not over, right? And I think to like to say both of those things. Um, God's engagement so. with the world is not a, not a command Z or control Z. It doesn't undo, yeah. right? The things we do matter. Um, and yeah. God's engagement in the world takes us deeper into it, into that brokenness. Yeah. And like, again, and then I'm going to shut up about this because we need to move to the gospel. But I think in a world where we're always debating, uh, we, we're talking, this is just to tie it back to drunk history. We're talking about history, <laughs> you know, so often we like to smooth over history. We don't want to talk about mm-hmm. the ugly parts of history. And yet here, right here in the scriptures, we're talking about the ugliest possible parts uh, of David's life. Right. We're talking about the ugly parts of history. Uh, until next but, week. Uh, until, until next week. And we're going to censor I mean, ourselves. It but It continues. Um, but uh, but to find some good news in that, like I've, that's still a tension that we have. Like, do we tell these stories or do we say, uh, that's too uncomfortable, we're not going to talk about that. Um, but apparently uh, the scriptures think it's valuable to talk about, so uh, maybe we need to talk about our own histories that way too. Gospel, Zach. What's going on? Gospel, gospel? the good news of Jesus. Uh, Matt, welcome. Welcome. Gosh, trying to do accents when you already have an accent that you're trying to hide is hard work, Matt. Will Coleman to the good news of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Um, So this is week two of bread, bread of life, Jesus's bread. we're in week two of it. We're coming off of bread last week, where Jesus takes five loaves and two fish uh, and feeds large crowds. And then, of course, Jesus gets on the boats and goes somewhere else. The crowd, though, they saw the next morning that Jesus nor his disciples were there, and they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, they said to him, this week, uh, the gospel is really divided into three questions that the crowds have for Jesus. Uh, first, they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Uh, and Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, um, which the Son of Man will give to you. Uh, first question of the crowds have of Jesus, Rabbi, calling him a teacher, uh, which is a bit of a demotion. Uh, the assumption, right, is this crowd got fed uh, fed by, off of the loaves and fishes, uh, at which point they were ready to crown Jesus um, king. Day after they wake up, Jesus isn't there anymore. They follow him. Uh, <clears throat> he suffers a demotion. They call him rabbi teacher. When did you come here? Um, which on one hand, perhaps it's the question that asks simply, uh, oh, when did you get here? Because we were with you and we thought we would kind of be with you sort of thing. You could read it as a simple logistical question. Uh, probably uh, 
it means that, but also the double deeper question that they're asking here uh, is about who Jesus is and his power and legitimacy. Uh, when did you come here? Uh, I don't think they mean just Capernaum, but when did you come here to this place? Um, they want to know who he is. It's a question of identity. So Jesus' identity, his honor is threatened. And so he responds, putting his honor on the line. Uh, anytime you read, uh, truly I tell you, or very truly, or verily, uh, it means that you're making an honor-bound statement. Uh, Jesus, of course, doesn't answer the question directly, uh, but points back to signs, which are a key part of the Gospel of John. You saw signs, but evidently you didn't see them good enough because you're just hungry again. Um, and the bread that I gave you, uh, the bread that I give you, if you see the sign and participate fully in it, um, you're not going to need more bread. So they respond again with question number two. Jesus is talking about this food, this bread that endures for eternal life. They say, well, what must we do to perform the works of God? To understand their question, it seems a little unconnected, right? Uh, they say, who are you, basically? And Jesus says, I'm the one who gives bread who lasts forever. And they're like, well, what works do we need to do? What does that have to do with anything? Well, that's why you listen to this podcast, because we got information. Um, these are poor people, and poor people are used to working for their bread. Uh, bread doesn't come free. Ain't no thing as a free lunch. So they want to know what works do we need to do in order to receive this bread. I can work for a day in the field uh, or with my sheep or in my shop and get a piece of bread at the end of the day. What do I got to do to get this kind of bread? Because it sounds more expensive. And Jesus tells them, this is the work of God, that you believe into him. That's my translation. Believe into him whom he sent. So the work of God which is where I'm going to take my good news here, is believing into Jesus, uh, becoming a part of... they got to follow up then. What sign are you going to give us then? You gave us this, like, you promised this crazy stuff. Um, and so you need to work a sign for us that we might believe it. Because, you know, you're basically saying you're the new Moses. And Moses gave our ancestors uh, manna, fed them in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so they believed and followed Moses. Uh, and I don't remember what happened yesterday. It was a very busy day. Uh, so I can't remember the bread you gave yesterday. So I don't, don't want to bank it on that. Uh, I'm going to need another sign. Um, and Jesus says, well, very truly, I tell you, or truly, I tell you, verily, honor bound statement again. It was not Moses that gave your, your ancestors, uh, gave them bread for, from heaven to eat. But it was the Father who gave them bread through Moses. And in the same way, uh, it's not my bread, it's the Father's bread. Uh, and then we get to the first I am of the seven I am statements in John. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me, believes into me, will never be thirsty. Backing off of a couple of chapters ago, uh, we did thirst and drink, basically in the same way that we're doing bread of life here. Boom. Three questions. Back and forth. Bread of life. But I like the work. I think that's a a part of the struggle of preaching for these like six weeks of bread is finding other things to talk about than like your bread sermon, your bread of life sermon. Because uh, yeah. you probably only got one of those in you. And a heads up, uh, the last verse here, gosh, what is it? Verse uh, 24 or no, 35. 35 gets repeated the first verse next week. Uh, it starts, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So oh, yeah. if you've got a sermon of that really centers on I am the bread of life, you could do it this week or next week. It's a good need to look ahead. It's true. You don't want your, your look ahead letdown sermon here. So know that's coming. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And um, yeah, gosh, I mean, this uh, this time of year, here we are 
all these bread of life texts. Uh, it's the time of year when you see preachers complaining on social media about all the bread of life texts. And I think it's just like, nobody is like, Oh yes, they're finally back around again. I've been waiting for three years. Like I've never heard anyone say that. Been talking about like, well, sheep I'm, for three years and now we're back to the bread like, of life. Oh my gosh. So I, I know, uh, but I like, man, I really like some of the things you lifted up there. And especially as it ends, who never, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hunger and thirst. I mean, these are real things, right? And you highlighted that um, poor people are used to working for bread. Like this is a, this is a real thing. Like this is not, we spiritualize this really quickly. Um, but I think part of the reason that Jesus uses this metaphor is because it is so like immediate and it is so, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a critical thing uh, to life. Hunger and thirst are real things. Uh, working for bread is a real thing, and if you can spend a little time with that before um, make make this tangible, don't don't go quickly into the um, into spiritualizing it. Uh, that'll probably be useful. What do you? I guess, man, we could <laughs> get into this again next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hear so that line. I am the bread of life. Uh, and it's so, it's so famous. We've all heard it a million times. Uh, I wrote in the margin, WTF does this mean? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> what, uh, what's your hot take, Zach? What, 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 what does this mean? Of life. I am the bread of, like, we hear it all the time and we can be pious about it. But like, really, what the hell does that mean? Like, it's a really strange statement. Yeah. Oh, Matt, it is super strange. And I think it's going to take me three weeks. Uh, <laughs> good, good. I've got a good answer in two weeks, I think. I think, gosh, I mean, so twisting it around to the preaching question, what's the good news? And maybe just because I'm sitting right now in Germany, uh, in the land of Luther, uh, what must we do to perform the works of God? I think the answer, right, the, <laughs> I think you could twist it around in a really fun way where the good news is you just need to eat. <laughs> Um, like you could do a whole thing, right? About how like most of the advice we hear about food is what not to eat. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. And a part, maybe a thing you want to set up, right? Is that in part, I think we, we grow weary with the bread of life stuff because we think of bread as a small part of our diets and just one of many options. Um, also so many carbs and so many carbs. Uh, well, imagine this, Matt, it made up a much higher a percentage of caloric intake of, of people of Jesus' time. So much so, right, I think I've said this before, that bread was synonymous with just food, right? So you could read it as, I'm the food of life. Yeah, I like it. And uh, we're going to, we should save this for next time. But since you said what to eat uh, and not what not to eat, it makes me think of uh, this summer. We've, we've lost like two really important food critics, uh, at yeah. least right? Anthony Bourdain and Jonathan mm-hmm. Gold. And you could think about the way that both of them, I think, thought about food. Yeah. Maybe we should dive into that next week when we talk about bread. But uh, oh. what to eat and how we appreciate food um, as a gift. I mean, that'd be, a, that'd be an interesting angle, I think. Maybe it would take you some different directions. Yeah. I like the... Yeah, Jonathan Gold is so <laughs> good. Is, I don't even know if I've read right? Jonathan Gold. Like, I don't, I literally may have never read any Jonathan Gold. I've seen a couple of Netflix things. So influential in my, like, a part of, like, this cultural, what seems to be a cultural transformation of food. Like, where we did uh, one of, still one of the greatest memories of my life is the Taco Truck Tour we did around L.A., with you and Yuan and Caleb, uh, where we hit like taco trucks all over the place. We went to like the, the apartment building where Yuan grew up, uh, (laughs) 
which I can still vividly remember. Um, uh, I think you were still in Mexico, but I got into Anthony Bourdain kind of on like internship. And when we came back to Chicago, we hit like, there's the draw, like what is the smoked, there's a smoked fish house, like the Calumet, Calumet fisheries and stuff where we did like all that kind of stuff to really engage in a place, even in like Knoxville, I found like this, like it became a thing, right. To try to find a place for me, mostly it's, it's been around the kind of like Mexican food. Um, but to find the place where like, where immigrants ate and wow, I ate some bad food in Knoxville trying to find that place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but what it did here we go we're going to tie a knot in this I promise and then we can end the pod um, so first I'm just being I nostalgic I should have saved it for next week I've got a very different angle on next week um, okay. that I think you're going to talk about um, what it did uh, eating eating in the way that Jonathan Gold uh, and Anthony Bourdain led us to eat brought the sense of connection. I want to say unity, but that's not the right word. It helped with that oneness. It helped connect me to people. Uh, and that's what I sought out of it. And that's what the great joy of eating that, f- that food really is. And that's what Jesus is, is means is being the bread of life. I am the food that brings life that will connect all of you because actually, right? Like this isn't, Oh gosh, Matt, I'm losing. I'm going to, going to go ahead and spend all of my, my good stuff from the coming weeks. Um, we're going to end up with flesh and blood in a few weeks. Jesus doesn't, we read it as a symbol because of what the synoptic gospels do, but Jesus and John does not do that. He is flesh and blood, period. Um, it's not a symbol. It's real life. And that's going to break a lot of barriers that we have built. It's going to take the sword out of the house by breaking down all the houses we've got to pull it into this much larger house that God has. I think we found some what? good news here. Yeah. Good stuff. So what are we going to listen to while we eat uh, at the taco truck? What are we listening to? Well, I got to get, uh, I got to get some David Bowie in there uh, before the summer's over. So, um, <laughs> David's, uh, David's got to get to the church on time at the beginning of this text. So <laughs> I got to go with, uh, with modern love. Oh, it's very ironic. Mm. Uh, God, what an ugly story. But then I really like, um, I'm going to move to Kendrick Lamar, who David Bowie, David Bowie's last album, Black Star, was really inspired by uh, this album, How to, Tim- How to Pimp a Butterfly. And Kendrick Lamar has a song in there called How Much a Dollar Cost, which is uh, one of these songs that uh, he kind of spins this tale and then at the end of it uh, reveals who the character is in much the same way what? that to David, right? Uh, I think it's a similar kind of move where he tells a story and then says, oh, what? That's what I was talking about the whole time. No way. <laughs> so Kendrick Lamar, how much did the R cost? And then, uh, man, and then um, since uh, since you were talking about I can't get the sword of the house, uh, it just made me think of Johnny Cash's uh, Don't Take Your Guns to Town, Son, Leave Your Guns at Home. Oh, just a great little story song about what happens when you take your guns to town. Don't do it. Don't, Don't do, do it. it. Leave them at home. Leave them at home. Oh, I think uh, this podcast may be the only place where you get the ringing endorsement that Kendrick Lamar is this generation's Nathan. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't think anybody else is saying that. <laughs> Good kid, mad Jerusalem. <sighs> Maybe once a month you hear it. Um, is that all you got? Uh, <laughs> I kind of wanted to throw Chance the Rappers. I might need security on there because I thought you'd also be excited with their Chance the Rappers. 
<laughs> like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, Matt, I'm going to put... I know you put it on the playlist <clears throat> earlier this summer. But again, I am just uh, was struck by the You Are the Man line. So for David Bowie uh, in the in King David's story, I got to go with the man who sold the world. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. kind of man who sold the world moment here for David. But at least there seems to be some uh, self-awareness eventually. Uh, the thing's done gone bad. Then Matt, I'm going to be preaching about work. Actually, I'm not going to be preaching because I'm going to be worshiping in... Um, Eisleben, I think, the, the, the town of, of Luther's birth and death, which is the fun one. No, I'm worshiping English worship in Wittenberg. Uh, what are the works of God? Uh, there is work to do, Jesus says. So Luther may not like that part, right? There's work to do. Uh, believe uh, into me. And you know who has a great anthem about telling you about engaging uh, in work? Uh, it's Missy Misdemeanor Elliot telling you to work it. <laughs> I was like, which one are you going to choose? Yep, Missy Elliot. <laughs> nice. And Matt, one of my favorite songs from, uh, one of my favorite songs that we played during our like bluegrass uh, Good Friday service is uh, Old Crow Medicine Show's Poor Man, which is just one of the most beautiful songs. It's very sad, just like this story. Uh, but I think sadness in that good news thing uh, gosh, I love the. I worked through the winter, Lord. I worked through this fall, and all I got for Christmas was a pair of overalls. And there ain't a thing for a poor man in this world. That's the that's the refrain. And there ain't a thing for a poor man in this world. No redemption. Sometimes it's enough to to lay out it. There ain't a thing for a poor man. Nice. Good stuff. Good playlist. Oh, good app. Good app. It's been real. It's been real vinyl. 